3CR, radio that's independent, progressive and making a difference. And welcome to The Renegade Economist here on 3CR out of Melbourne with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. Today, well, we're stepping inside a utopian vision, a living example of the public good that can eventuate from the sharing of the rising value of the earth. Yes, as renegades, we are advocates for redirecting the property bubble away from the banking system and towards the financing of government. And today we have a micro version of our macro vision with a uh, interview with Elodia Arnold from the Fairhope Single Tax Corporation. It's been around for 121 years. And uh, a little piece off their website, the founders wanted to establish a model community or colony free from all forms of private monopoly and to secure to its members therein a quality of opportunity, the full reward of individual efforts and the cooperation in matters of general concern. So let's step into the interview recorded in Detroit just recently. On last week's show, we had Gordon Abiyama from the African Centre for Geoclassical Economics talking about the need for an eco-village in Odi near the Niger Delta. So uh, this week, we're talking to Alodia Arnold, who actually lives in something akin to an eco-village, and it's more likely a community land trust called the Fairhope Single Tax Corporation. So this has an amazing history, Elodia. Can you give us a rundown on how long this Fairhope settlement has been established? Carl, thank you so much for having me today. Uh, Yes, the Fairhope uh, experiment is a wonderful example of Henry George and uh, what progress can provide for a community. It's been in existence for 121 years was founded in 1894 by a group of 25 uh, populists that migrated from Iowa, uh, led by Evie Gaston, and they wanted to uh, have a utopian community. And Evie was a member of the Investigation Society, and they investigated 80 different utopian communities in the U.S. and took the good points from those communities and combined that with Henry George's single tax theory and developed the Fairhope Single Tax Corporation. Uh, It was originally the Fairhope Industrial Society and in 1904 became the Fairhope Single Tax Corporation. Uh, They purchased 2,200 acres of land that was a combination of farmland, commercial, and residential. They purchased 2,200 acres of land that was a combination of farmland, commercial, and residential land, and they then in turn leased that out to people in the area. The individuals that came to Fairhope, the purpose was to show what single tax could do. Uh, Joseph Phelps, who was a prominent businessman from New York, was a high supporter of Fairhope and provided a good bit of the funding that enabled the initial purchase of land. Um, One of the amazing things that happened is it allowed for a free thought process in one of the southern states that would not normally have had that there. They encouraged people to experiment and for artists to come and just to create. And that still goes on today. We're still an artist community. 
Today, we currently own 4,400 acres of land. We have uh, 3,400 plus lessees. So we actually have about 20% of the planning jurisdiction of the city of Fairhope. We collect, in terms of our rent, we collect the ad valorem tax for the county, an admin fee, and then a demonstration fee. The demonstration fee we, in turn, take and put back into the community by way of roads, parklands. Um, we provide funding for uh, playgrounds, for the education, for the schools in the area. Uh, one of the greatest things that has come out of Fairhope was the organic school, and that was founded in 1901 by Marietta Johnson. And Marietta's philosophy was that living is learning, and learning is living, and all should be hands-on learning. And she was a prominent uh, contemporary of Marie Montessori at the time. So that was one of the, one of the best achievements that came out of Fairhope. And so this organic centre, uh, how's that evolved? I note that your land holdings have doubled. Uh, how has this, uh, is it a, a greenhouse? Uh, I'm talking here as someone who runs their own little community nursery from the side of uh, our spare driveway. If any listeners ever want to check out the Power Plants Community Nursery, that's what my family and I uh, contribute. I think about five hours a week we can produce 500 seedlings that we sell at cost to really promote food security and sovereignty. So how's your organic center um, evolving? Well, I have to admit that when you hear the term organic, that you do automatically think about farming. But that's not the case. The fact is that learning is organic. And that's what we focus on. We focus on the individual child as an organism and how they learn is as an organism and that's where the term organic comes from i should have picked up on that as a as a uh, a child of montessori uh, learning i did some uh, preschool uh, time in montessori teaching so what a, give us an overview then of some of the principles of this all organic learning process so what uh, could young parents listening to this show take from uh, some of this wisdom you've collected over what, 124 years one of the principles that has been brought across is that children do not need to be tested. They need to be allowed to absorb, and then they need to actually produce what they learn. And that's how you need to categorize and how you need to make sure that a child is learning. For me, I, was, I went to the organic school and was fortunate, and it allowed me to be able to think on my own to problem solve. That's what it teaches the most, is how to problem solve. It takes you from the beginning stages of a child, um, where you're just learning hands-on, you're learning how to play with blocks, you're learning how to build, you're learning about colors, and then as you go, you're gonna learn more about how you take each step of the building process and you apply it in the real world. So for example, if you're gonna take a group of children outside, and they do a lot of outside teaching, that's one of the primary purposes, is you're gonna go outside and you're given a list of things that you need to examine, such as a bird. Well, we wanna know the color, we wanna know the wingspan, and these are the things that we're asking for children to look at, so that they're looking at the bird as a whole. Where is its nest? How does it feed its children? And just analyzing the whole entire bird and its life and that is something that helps a child as they grow to be able to problem solve in their own life so that they are 
able to, I like to say that it, it helped me learn how to be able to live and not just to have to rely on someone else to tell me what to do. It sounds very similar to the Steiner approach to learning as well uh, that came out of Europe. So uh, great that uh, people are retaining these sort of approaches where uh, common sense prevails and if we stop and, and look at nature and relate to it, we can actually uh, learn from nature and, and uh, evolve naturally without some standover merchant telling us how to think by rote learning. So that's fantastic, Elodia. So uh, you, as I mentioned, you've expanded your land holdings there. You've got 3,400 um, leases. Uh, how's the financial um, standing of the community? Is this economically viable? Our financial standings are actually uh, very decent. We uh, are a 501c4 not-for-profit in the United States, which means we are charged with lessening the burden of government. So we do not have to pay any income tax as an organization, but we do put the, f the revenues that we collect, we do put that back into th in the community. With the income tax in the United States, we are not able to practice strict Georgia's philosophy. We would like to be able to do that a little bit more, but we've been in existence for 121 years. We'd have never been in debt a single day, and we're solid. We have a solid capital foundation, and those are tremendous attributes that I have to say are a success. We've gone through ups and downs as any political organization would, especially if you're going from a more progressive society to more conservative society, which we of course have done that as well. Now we're moving back more towards a more progressive thought process, and we'll be promoting more of the Georgia's philosophy and thoughts and ideas. And so with all these artists in residence, uh, what sort of arts and craft go on? And uh, through some of those mediums, are there any sort of Georgia's games that have evolved as things that outsiders wouldn't really know? Uh, you know, are you involved in uh, local markets? What are some of the sort of prominent arts that uh, flow through what must be, what is it, five or 6,000 people living there? Currently, we have a population of around 15,000, actually, yeah. Uh, prominent arts are going to be uh, painting, music, writing. We have uh, multiple bestsellers that live in the area, that come from that area. Uh, Winston Groom lives in, in the Point Clear area right next to Fairhope. He's a very prominent author. And then also, we have hands-on art. Dean Mosier is a, an amazing artist, and he has built a castle by out of hand. It's just a beautiful place. And these are the, the types of people that come to Fairhope and are drawn to it because it's a progressive area. And they have access to land to be able to use it to the best of their ability and to produce. I'm not sure if we have created any Georgist games or philosophies as of yet that we could that I could share, but that 
something that could be coming in the future. Good. Well, I'll, I'll look forward to sharing one, the earth sharing game that we designed uh, probably 10 years ago. Uh, never quite got off the ground. I'd love someone to pick up the skeleton of what we did. It's sort of a, a role playing game that you can play in 15 minutes and people all of a sudden uh, are forced to uh, share resources and understand how a monopolist uh, who, who controls certain elements uh, make all the easy gains. So, uh, you're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economists broadcasting out of the Embassy Suites in Southfield, Detroit uh, this week. We're with Elodia Arnold. She's the Corporation Secretary to an amazing 121-year-old community land trust called the Fair Hope Single Tax Corporation. Now, Elodia, can you give us some details on how the uh, land lease arrangement is actually orchestrated? How often is the land valued? And uh, because of this, are there any land price advantages to living within this amazing community? Today, we have a 99-year lease that is signed. Uh, The land is, the leasehold interest is transferable. What the individual is buying is the improvements and the exclusive surface rights to the land. So they're not buying the land itself. The county is the one that does the assessing of the land right now for us. Uh, So they do have a a two-part assessment, land and improvements. They send that information to us on an annual basis. They do assess it on an annual basis. Do they make changes? Not necessarily. It depends on if they feel like that their need does need to be a change. Uh, this past year, we actually have seen an increase of 100% of our holdings across the board. I apologize, let me explain that. 100% of our holdings have seen an increase. The average increase has been about 8 to 9% of the land values from the prior year. So that's been significant. And we can attribute that to uh, something new that's happening in the area. Airbus has opened a facility. In 2014, they broke ground in Mobile, Alabama, which is across the bay from Fairhope, and they'll start production in 2016. So with that facility coming, that of course is going to bring new residents, and that is driving the increase in our property values. So I would say Fairhope is more expensive to live in than the neighboring towns because of our thought process and because of the fact that we do welcome artists and progressive thought people. That just seems to drive our prices a little bit higher. But our schools are the best. We have the best schools in the area. Absolutely, yeah. All right. Well, we just had a bit of a data meltdown. Um, We're going to try and pick up the pieces here with Elodia Arnold, Corporation Secretary at the Fairhope Single Tax Corporation. Elodia, you're talking about the popularity of your community and that leading to perhaps higher land prices. That was great to hear you had yearly land valuations or assessments. What percentage do you charge of that land valuation and and how contentious is that how's that a judge does it ever change yes um carl right now we charge two tenths of a percent on the land value itself based on what the county values that as Uh, we do have a rent study committee that meets 
and reviews the rent on an annual basis, and they determine if we should increase that or not. Um, historically, we have never charged the full rental value of land. It just hasn't been a possibility. Uh, when they first founded Fairhope, they were unable to charge the full value because the people that came didn't have any money, and it took everything they had just to live. Um, Today, we don't charge the full value of the rental because of how the individuals actually purchase the land. So in their transfer process, they do include the value of the land in their purchase price. So that kind of eliminate, you know, stops us from being able to charge the full rental value. So it varies. Uh, it can go, like I said, this year it's two-tenths of a percent. The highest it has ever been is uh, three-tenths of a percent. Okay, so... It's similar to your municipal rates or council tax, whatever you call it. So, okay, that's pretty much the modern era. We sort of dream of having a 5 6% sort of rate, and from that there'd be enough money to replace income taxes and sales taxes and those sort of things. But you're saying that, that if you know, there have been people who have suggested um, within the movement that we could charge that sort of rate to ensure that we're not borrowing so much from the banks, but also use that excess revenue stream to donate to the government to try and see if they would allow that to be a write-off against their sales tax and their company or their income tax, that sort of thing. Uh, it'd be quite a, a step forward. Has anyone ever sort of talked about that um, in Fairhope, Alabama? Carl, they have talked about many different ideas. We haven't had the technology in place to be able to show the reality of being able to do something. That's something that I have the privilege of being able to bring to the table now, is we're going to be putting new technology in place that will be able to do new accounting of our land holdings and our income. And I can be able to show alternate streams. Our new accounting technology will be, will be able to provide uh, alternate alternate forms of valuations and funding and what we could potentially be doing with our rent revenue income. Okay, so what's a, a concluding comment on, uh, you know, can people traveling through Alabama come and stay with you? Uh, what are the sort of commercial realities of, of visiting? Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, we have a wonderful uh, hotel industry in Fairhope. Uh, we have several hotels right in downtown. Uh, we have become quite a, a, a tourist uh, attraction. So, so yes, we're right off of the I-10 corridor, which passes, uh, of course, through the southern part of the United States from Jacksonville, Florida, all the way to California. So we're right on the Gulf Coast across the bay from Mobile and about 45 minutes north of Gulf Shores. Excellent. Well, Elodia Arnold, thank you so much for joining us here on 3CR's Renegade Economists. Thank you so much, Carl. Look forward to it. Okay, so there we have Elodia Arnold from the Fairhope Single Tax Corporation. Imagine having a vision that you could set up a, uh, a community that would survive 121 years uh, on its own to be able to double its size in terms of land value to grow from uh, just 20 or 30 people to now 15,000 odd people, at least 5,000 abodes. They have donated a huge amount of parkland to the local community. Uh, they've got one of the, the best and only public beaches with a huge public uh, parkland surrounding it. 
they've really done some amazing work for the community and uh, I, I wish that this sort of uh, philosophy would expand further and the Fairhope Mayor Tim Cant was recently interviewed on Fox News at Fox 6 WBRC on Fairhope Single Tax Corporation then and now and uh, uh, Mayor Cant says uh, what it was when they originally set it up was a way to develop Fairhope where you didn't have to spend all of your money buying land. So when you built a $40,000 home, it was just the cost of the house that was built on it. And that sort of reiterates that uh, core core statement I keep uh, pushing on, on the show that we are trying to channel the property bubble, which really is the land bubble, away from the banking system and towards the financing of government so we can reduce the taxes on our labour, on our business. And uh, through the Total Resource Rents of Australia report, I'm working on an update at the moment, uh, at least half of government revenue can come from the land rents themselves, from this property bubble, and uh, work towards covering all three layers of government expenditure and why is this such a rebellious state of opinion well neoclassical economics keeps telling us that economic rents this unearned income this this land bubble is only worth one to two percent of gdp well, I can't wait to release the figures for uh, the latest year's study, but last time I did this, it was 14.2% of GDP. And anyone listening, anyone watching the Australian property bubble will know that it's even higher than that, and that is certainly the case. So uh, more on the Fairhope Single Tax Corporation. They became a non-profit entity in 2003, and uh, just since uh, 2013, these are some of the things they have used, uh, these land rents, to uh, develop for the local community. They've preserved the Fairhope history through funding of the Bay Boat Model Project, They've provided the funding and the planning of trees at Founders Park, provided 100000 for Rotary Boys and Girls Club expansion, provided public access to White Avenue Park settlement via mutual court order, Fairhope Avenue sidewalk extension, White Avenue Park sidewalk, Booth and Troyer road sidewalks. And they do this through what Elodia discussed as a demonstration fee, which I just love that term. Imagine if we could demonstrate that uh, we could use this money more purposefully than uh, seeding the pockets of wealthy bankers. Uh, And instead of sending the money there, we could build all of these things the community needs. Now, that is uh, something that we need so desperately in places like Detroit and New Orleans, in uh, remote communities here in Australia that are falling apart because of the planned obsolescence of the public interest. And in terms of preventative health, preventative economics, establishing a decent public finance system is our first step forward. And last Wednesday at our 124th annual dinner, we had a, uh, a boisterous crowd there to see Professor Miranda Stewart present her uh, What Makes a Successful Tax State. And really the core message from her presentation that you can find on the prosper.org.au website, prosper.org.au, was that we need a tax system that is resilient. And 
friend of mine, uh, Joe Kim, put uh, up on my Facebook feed today about the need for Uber app sharing uh, sort of technology to be sort of owned by the community of users, uh, the, the drivers of Uber, rather than just the uh, the directors who come up with it. And uh, I commented, well, sometime in the future, uh, you know, we're going to be faced with robotics. We're, we're all living with incredible student debts. We've got these immense housing debts that our grandparents would just about have conniptions over if they realised this is the future they were, they were setting in stone. They would have joined the Fairhope Single Tax Corporation back there and said my god there's no way we can allow this to happen but yet this is what's occurred so yeah uh, as my train of thought goes the event last week was a great one and uh, we're looking forward to our 125th annual dinner and uh, yeah the the cost of living just continues to accelerate and uh, to hear that fair hope collects some four and a half million dollars a year uh, sends four million of that to the county and then spends probably another four hundred odd thousand on uh, some of these philanthropic projects that the local community should be the local council should be funding but because uh, Alabama unfortunately has what I- exists in many uh uh, states in America, they, they actually ban the land-only taxation. They want us to penalise those who put solar panels on our roof, who put water tanks, who build uh, renovations. Uh, they want to discourage that and encourage uh, people knocking down affordable weatherboard homes, affordable housing and land banking on those sites. So this has been inbuilt and the battle of the ages that's been going on for hundreds of years uh, that we all walk past in our local communities when we're walking past that empty shop that uh, vacant block of land it all adds up and it puts more and more strain not only on our private finances but on the public financing system where so many of us uh, uh, see these cutbacks going on in our communities Uh, we're seeing a horrible thing go on in Victoria at the moment where the uh, Premier Daniel Andrews is uh, uh, capping our most effective tax base, he's saying to local councils look you can't raise your council rates anymore we're going to instead encourage people to all pay the same sort of poll tax-esque inflated garbage fees and that's what seems to be the trend forward it's either a higher GST at the federal level which is again another regressive tax or at the local level it's this jacking up of garbage fees and and sewerage fees and those sort of things that really are hurting our hip pockets. So uh, we have to hope that somewhere along the way, uh, Daniel Andrews and and others around the world start to look at 30 years of privatisation under this monopoly capitalism sort of agenda and say, look, uh, it's costing $2,000 for one single drain to be cleared and emptied and and put back in working order. $2,000 is what uh, my my favourite bike shop in Footscray, Ted Cycles, tells me there, the proprietor. That's how much it costs for one drain. Well, any bets uh, 10, 15 years ago before uh, privatisation really swept through our municipalities, uh, $2,000 would have funded a couple of blokes to clear probably 10 drains over a couple of weeks. So we need to look at uh, both the revenue raising side and then the damaging costs of uh, 
privatisation and this sort of rent-seeking consultancy exorbitant fees that continue on and on. All right, well, how's that for a spiel? My name's Carl Fitzgerald. Track me at Earthsharing on Twitter. Uh, I hope more and more of you are subscribing to the podcast. Find it on iTunes. Find it through the 3cr.org.au forward slash economists website and uh, send me uh, a review please Uh, it was great to hear from paul in germany during the week listening to the michael hudson interviews so uh yeah keep the feedback coming and who knows one day i'll have a decent uh vox pops on this show thanks for listening subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio bringing you coverage of community issues and events this is Beard Base Camp. Welcome to the Little Red Slangy Treehouse. As you said, I'm going to the East West Tunnel ticket, as it usually does start at 5.30am. Uh, the Lincoln Melbourne Authority have come here in the middle of the night and set up another drill rig here on Gold Street. Police were pretty keen to defend that with all their resources this morning. And I think for Australians, in order to know ourselves, really fully know ourselves, in order to mature...